Okay, everybody. Uh, it's good to see you. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Uh, yeah, so... Hello. I was, uh, we're working through this Table 101 class. We started with kind of an intro to history to Anglicanism last week, then talked about the Via Media and the Compass Rose, and I listened to that recording uh, in Boston in the airport on Friday, yeah. and, was really, yeah, and was really glad that uh, Ben threw me a softball for this week, so this will be a nice, easy conversation. No, uh, so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk through how we actually, like the Compass Rose is a good way to illustrate and graphically picture sort of how we hold these things in tension abstractly, right? So it's not, this isn't uh, speaking specifically to any one issue, it's just sort of a, in general, it's like the container. Here's the container we use. Today we're gonna throw some contents in it and kind of figure out how to use it sort of on the ground. So I know that Ben, um, flexing his teacher muscles, has been doing a lot of teaching and discussion. Today's gonna be a little different. I'm gonna flex different muscles. Spencer, that was for you, the reference, the metaphor. Uh, uh, today, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to review a little bit. I'm going to give some sort of clarifications on how we use this tool. And then we're going to do some constructive work together. And then we're going to share the constructive work we've done and have a conversation around that. So it's going to be much more constructive on your end and collaborative on your end rather than me just bringing straight content. Make sense? So uh, put on your work in boots. Uh, but anyway, let me pray for us and then we'll get started. Uh, Lord, thanks for this community of people and this space you've given us to be, just to be, just to breathe and to, to be grounded and rooted in this world that you've created. We pray your spirit be among us, uniting us in solidarity with your son Jesus, that we would become one as your body. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so last week, if you weren't here, or just because you've probably slept at eight since then, uh, this is the, uh, the, the way that we are picturing the, the, the via media of Anglicanism. So via media means the middle way. And this is a, a tool that's used not by all Anglicans, but by some Anglicans to describe these tensions were holding things together. So we have these different poles here, the charismatic and the orthodox, the here and the there, the conservative, this impulse to stop and to maintain and to protect, right? And then the liberal, this, this, this impulse to go and to innovate and to change. Uh, we have the evangelical and Catholic, and we have uh, the contemplative and activist. And the big point of this last week was that as Anglicans, we don't, we don't have to choose if we're either Catholic or evangelical, or if we're either liberal or conservative. There's not a right side to be on. Right? There, isn't a, there isn't an us that we understand ourselves as, and a them that we demonize. But, but as, uh, as Anglican Christians, we hold these things together. Yeah? Is that a good summary of like last week? Are there any any further like clarification questions that you have from the jump so that we can 
start to use this because I don't want to spend too much time doing what Ben did really well last week. Ben? I think it's worth saying. All right, let's say I don't it. know if you're going to say this. Say it then. But I think it's worth saying that um, what we're focused, this is a way of picturing how we're trying to focus on following Jesus rather than, well, sometimes I think the metaphor of via media can give us an indication that we're trying, we're looking for the extremes and trying to find the middle. But that's not what we're doing here, yeah. right? We're not looking for, oh, what, is, what, are, what are the two extremes? Let's find the balance of two extremes. We're looking to Jesus, and we find that, in general, this is the way that gets carved for us as we, as we look at Jesus. Does that make sense? So it's not, it's, we're not defining our faith by what other people say is conservative. What's that? We're not defining ourselves. We're not moderate. moderate Christians. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a little bit different thing. So it's, it's more like this. I was going to talk about this. So th- this can give, this does helpful work in that it graphically illustrates I think some binaries that exist in our culture, and not a Christian culture, but secular culture too. But it's, it does unhelpful work in the sense that it can lead us to believe that the goal is to be right here. That there's this punctiliar point, there's this tightrope that we have to like find. And actually it's a little different. So if you just take this conservative and liberal spectrum, um, uh, we believe that Jesus was conservative and liberal in the ways that we use those terms. Right? And so it's not like, it, it doesn't look like this, where you have liberals over here and conservatives over here, and Jesus hit this middle point, like the moderate, like, when you, like what you were saying, um, Spencer. Tell us more conservative then. Sir, eraser? There's not. Um, but rather, uh, in Jesus, we see the binary made into something a little different. So let's let's use um, let's say this is the conservative spectrum and this is the liberal spectrum. Like Jesus was both. Right? So he wasn't liberal and not conservative. He wasn't conservative and not liberal. He wasn't neither. He embodied sort of the best of both examples. And, and we could probably say that for each of these points on the on the compass rows. So the way we use grace and truth in our DNA groups, and we graph it out on X and Y axis, like it's the same idea here. That's what Ben was saying. And so it's not so much that we want to sort of not offend anybody or find this place where we can appeal to both sides, but rather we believe that being a centered set people, centered in Jesus and his life and the way he embodied reality and the way he embodied humanity, that we see these things intermingling. Commingling. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, also, just other clarifications. Uh, this is inherently a non-dualistic way of thinking. So we're, we're attempting in a dualistic philosophical culture to create a non-dual way of understanding things. And that is hard for us. We need sides. We need black and whites. We need rights and wrongs. Right? And, and some of us are more okay with gray areas than others. You guys know who you are. Like some of you just need like, tell me the, give me the, that's black and that's white, right? But what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, um, in a world of no, but we're trying to say yes and, okay? That's what we're, that's what we're attempting to say. Uh, also, this isn't how all Anglicans think. 
So this is very specific to the table. We'll say more about this later. Uh, but Anglicans are as diverse as Americans, to be honest. Like, so you can find people of all stripes and colors. In fact, there's a church, another Anglican church that meets four miles down the road, three miles on the road, um, and, and they would leave this class a lot differently. Um, all right. So let's take, let's take this tool and turn it towards navigating issues that tend to be binary, challenging issues in our day. Hot button topics. What are, what are some of the hot button topics either in the church, capital C, or in our culture today? Give me one. Speaking of hot, is it hot in here? I'm just my 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 teeth are sweating. Okay. Um, sexuality. Yeah, human sexuality. Right. Uh, you're referring to Homo sapiens, right? Humans. <laughs> Not like aardvark sexuality. Sure. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, what else? <laughs> well, how about this? What what's included under this, you guys? What's included under human sexuality? What are some of the subtopics or some the things that constant. Why is that a hot button topic? Women's rights. Yeah. So you have women or um, feminism. You said women's rights. <laughs> I have a hard time writing and talking. Yeah. What else? Gender identity. Yeah. So gender dysphoria. Homosexuality. Homosexuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So LGBTQ plus. Yeah. Good. At least, right? At least this. Yeah. I think we've got um, marriage in here, right? Uh, I would put uh, abortion in here, and I would put patriarchy in here. Ooh. It is Father's Day. It is. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a big one. I think that's one that's not only present in the church, present in the culture. Like it's something that transcends. You have things in the church that people care a lot about, like when is Jesus returning? And people are like dividing over that and wars or, you know, can you speak in tongues? Is that a gift for today? And, you know, Joe Joe Pagan has doesn't give a rip about that. Right? Um, but this is something I think that uh, Joe Pagan and Joe Church both care about a great deal. Yeah, so let's take let's take that. I mean, so so some other ones would be uh, war, war and, and nonviolence, or war and, and peace, um, power, right? So we've got a lot of uh, like there's a you know some some people are calling it a reckoning in our culture in the last at least eighteen months where women are coming forward talking about um, men abusing power over their bodies in sexual or fit other ways. Um, and so there's all kinds of 
like destabilization or disorientation around power and gender, which can also be put, that's, I mean, I put patriarchy there to sort of um, kind of get at that. Uh, relationship to government, I mean, goodness gracious. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, Christians and non-Christians figuring out like what does it mean to to submit to governing authorities and to protest and when is civil disobedience like when is when is speeding okay and when is it not you know <laughs> you know uh, yeah and part of that is like just immigration people are losing their minds over it right like our culture right now it's or their children, or their children. yeah yeah you're right. All right, so let's take let's take human sexuality uh, since it's um, Ben Sturkey's favorite topic, and let's think through. <laughs> let's think. Here's here's what I want you to do. I I want to think through it using the compass rose, and I I want this is going to be like your constructive effort. Um, I see that uh, you might need to write things down. I need I need to think when I, I need to write things down. What are the questions? that each of these perspectives bring to this topic. Okay? The questions, not the answers. Questions. Right? Now, I think, uh, personally, I think that I'm really in touch with the questions that, like, the liberal perspective and the conservative perspective bring to human sexuality. Like, and we'll say more about this later, but that's because it's, part of the prevailing ideology that frames this discussion. So this discussion is almost solely framed in a, uh, in a uh, liberal, by liberal I mean philosophically liberal, which might not be helpful. Uh, how do I break this down? Uh, it's it's like, a, like, a, like a late modern philosophical liberal construct, which uh, gives birth to liberal and conservative politics in America. Like that frame is the dominant frame that I hear human sexuality talked about, but it's not the only frame. Uh, and so anytime you're working in an ideology, an ideology is sort of the idolatry of ideas, where a construct becomes hegemonic. A construct becomes something that contains the entire imagination about something, and it creates gridlock within a binary system. So there's a feedback between conservatives and liberals in politics today. Like there's tons of vitriol and animosity. I don't know if this is news to you, but like, like you know, like, like, uh, uh, like liberals and conservatives in the political sphere, they are constantly attacking and deconstructing each other's arguments. Um, and the irony is, is that they're, they're two sides of the same coin. They both function in the same philosophical bedrock and they're sort of so close together that they are parasitic on each other. This is how ideology works. Okay, that's a whole other class. Uh, so I'm sorry for that rabbit trail. Uh, so, but even even conservative and liberal, what are the questions they bring to this? So here's what I want you to do. I want you just to think through these different points on the compass rose. What are the questions that these Points would what, what questions would they bring to the conversation around human sexuality? Does that question make sense? It's going to take a little work, so spend about two or three minutes considering that. Right? Individual. 
individually. Yes. This is all about... We're evangelicals about me. This is all about you right now. Yeah. What are the core questions they, they, they want to ask about this? Does anybody need an example? Okay. What does Scripture say? What does the church say? It's an example, right? What does this threaten? What do we stand to lose here? What issue of justice? Who can this liberate? Now, you might disagree with those. Those are my characterizations of these perspectives. But part of this work is to just get out on the table those, you know, you might flip those, which would be really interesting to have a conversation about. But those are the kinds of things, what kinds of questions would these perspectives bring to the issue of human sexuality? Ben, can I pause this recording? Uh, yeah, just hit the stop button. The stop button? Mm-hmm. Or can I hit pause? Can I hit the pause button? Yeah, hit the pause button. What are some of the questions you thought of for different points on the compass? Who's throwing out? Ben. Similar to the Catholic perspective, but I thought for the Orthodox, the question would be, what has the church historically believed in practice? Yeah, good. Yeah. So they want to ask, what has the church done throughout history? Right. Great. Great, what else? Conversely, the charismatic might be, what is God doing now? Yeah, great. So the charismatic is going to ask...
encouraging and stuff. So can I just say church state? Yeah. That's is that what you're is yeah. that getting at? Yeah. So to what degree should the church legislate morality? Or to what degree should the state adopt the church's morality? Yeah. From the contemplative view, I think what does it look like to be faithful to people that are struggling with these, wrestling with these, and then I think even just for people that are wrestling with it, you know, what does it look like for them personally to be faithful? experience of contemplation is an experience of like as you settling into being settling into being is sort of settling into uh, transcending binary the, you know, the binaries that you were talking yeah, about yeah. There's, a, there's a transcending of binaries to say okay is there a way for us to be together Sure. even if we disagree or even if we don't see eye to eye like I think that's a contemplative perspective to say yeah. Can we, can we be together? You know, you know, in some way. I think also, like when you talk about that, I think of the fact that we would, the contemplative practice is about is being, and when we're always in a state of being, we're dropping our yes. our ideals and beliefs, and we're just like we're literally dropping the essence of who we are. Right. And if we can do that, in unification, then a lot of these issues are going to fade away. That's good. Yeah, so trying to fuse something, fuse somebody in being with them. Do you guys agree with my first couple blinks, like evangelical? What does the scripture say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's really how do I read the scripture? But I don't know if you want to parse that. <laughs> you know, it's true. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, it's yeah. true. And we are parsing and parse with that word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say. I mean, there's. It's uh, you know the word evangelical is a is a bit. Uh, dirty right now. It's a bit loaded in the sense that it's it's getting more narrow in terms of its definition. But I, I know many evangelicals who would who would be open and affirming. Uh, they would call themselves open and affirming here. Who would also ask this question? So this isn't just a conservative, uh, not open and affirming question. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want I want to make that clear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the question: What do you lose? Is really important, or what do you lose? Yeah, and that's. Yeah. What's it like? What's at stake? Well, what's at stake is a. I'm thinking about now. What's at stake is a question that uh, maybe a meta question. But what do we what do we stand to lose? What do we? What's at stake here? What do we lose? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What does progress look like? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And so maybe the flip side of that for conservatives, kind of like what do we lose or like um, how can we like honor our tradition? Yeah. Or maybe how can we keep our culture? <laughs> yeah. Any other, any others that, you, that occur to you that you want to get up here before we? Let's see, there we're going to be. Go ahead, Ben. It might be worth uh, putting under the so Catholic and Orthodox feel very similar. Yeah, I think right. Orthodox is asking historically what is the church practice, but I think the Catholic question is more like present tense. Yeah. Like I think it's. Yeah, oh yeah, you put it up there. Yeah, what does the church say? What yeah. does the church say in practice now? <clears throat> yeah, in my mind, Orthodox is like, uh, what, what, do, what does church history of the creeds have to say about this? Yeah. The church is, what is the community that currently constitutes yeah. like the body of Christ? Like, what do they have to say about this? Yeah. And they're not, they're not opposites. They're in continuity. I mean, I think in the best sense, they're in continuity with each other. But they are distinct questions. Um, I think the liberal question is um, also like what, um, or activist question. I wanted to say is like what needs to be what needs to be done. I also wrote down like what issues of justice are at stake in this. Like an activist is concerned about seeing righteousness and justice played out in the world. So activist is going to ask, what does justice look like? <clears throat> All right. Does this feel, I could probably populate this with a lot of more questions, but does this feel at least a good start for us? Let me, uh, let me give a little background and history of like how this has played out in our tradition. And then I want to propose a way forward for the table that um, allows for some of these questions, and then I'd love to have a conversation about that. So the Anglican tradition has, uh, in my this is this speaking from my opinion, uh, the Anglican tradition is is full on caught up in the culture war around human sexuality. Um, so just just some background on this. And this is a really quick flyover, and so it's not meant to be exhaustive. And I'm not trying to be careful either. I'm just giving you a sketch. That the Episcopal Church, y'all heard of the Episcopal Church? The Episcopal Church is, was, is the Anglican Church in America. So when Anglicans came to America, instead of calling it Anglican, which means England, English, basically, they called it Episcopal, which is, a, is the... Um, Anglicans, Anglic, the Englishizing, Anglicanization of the Greek word for bishop, episkopos. So Episcopal Church, you know, succession of bishops. Um, there's there was there's been this move in the Episcopal Church. Uh, many people would say it started in the early 70s, and beginning in 1976, the Episcopal Church started ordaining women. This is human sexuality stuff, and then into like the 90s and 2000s, they began to sort of, they are ordained an actively gay bishop. 
and then they began marrying gay people, gay persons. And a lot of the, the, the Anglican sort of impulse is to stay together, right? This is something we've talked about, like stay together. Stay. So you had people that disagreed with women ordination vehemently who stayed in the Episcopal Church in 1976. <clears throat> 15, 20, 25 years later, an, an actively gay bishop was ordained. Uh, and then when they started doing, uh, the Episcopal Church of marrying gay persons. Uh, these people also kind of tried to stick it out, tried to stay together. Uh, eventually, um, eventually, again, this is super flyover caricature, uh, the global south has, is, has way less, way different views on human sexuality than Western Christians. And particularly African bishops from places like Nigeria and Rwanda, they, uh, they weren't having it. Like, they, they could barely tolerate women's ordination. And then when an actively gay bishop was ordained and they started... So the, so the Anglican, African Anglican bishops began replanting Anglican churches in America. They sent missionaries to America because they, they, in their opinion, the Episcopal Church was uh, at best heterodox, which means real sketchy, and at worst, at worst, um, uh, heretics. Um, this sort of the the bishop that sort of organizes all of Anglican is in Canterbury. So the Bishop of Canterbury is first among equals. Uh, different than the Bishop of Rome in the Catholic Church. Um, officially, the Episcopal Church was put under sanctions for doing the things they were doing. But uh, to the Global South, in the Global South perspective, and in many Anglican priests who disagreed with it, it didn't have any teeth. It wasn't. It was sort of just sort of like, it was like the UN slapping some country on the wrist for something. Like they didn't see it was actually not doing anything. So... Uh, African bishops began uh, planting new provinces of new Anglican churches in America about 15 years ago. And out of that movement came our denomination, our, our, no, our province, which is the Anglican Church North America. And when the Anglican Church North America formed, all these Episcopal priests and many Episcopal Episcopalians who had been sort of hanging on in their Episcopal diocese, kind of flooded into ACNA because it gave them a way to be Anglican with a traditional understanding of human sexuality, right? Um, so our province has, uh, is a reaction against the Episcopal Church. Like it's, it's like a missionary impulse to sort of uh, replant churches that have a traditional, faithful understanding of human sexuality. So ACNA is in communion, official fellowship with the Global South and ma the majority of Anglican churches in the world. Canterbury is in a difficult spot because they have not dismembered the Episcopal Church. They're still, in, even though they're under sanction. Uh, so they haven't, like Canterbury hasn't recognized ACNA officially. So you've got all these Anglicans sort of vying for sort of recognition and sort of normalcy, wanting to be normal. 
uh, but it's super, super messy. And it's super messy even the Episcopal Church is, is not uh, of one cloth, right? So you have a whole Episcopal diocese, tons of dioceses that have major problems with what the Episcopal Church is doing, but they are, you know, their bishop, they, have, they feel like they have safety under their bishop or whatever. So it's, 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 it's complicated even, even to that standpoint. Uh, my, my blink is, this is, this is the way I see it, is that um, both ACNA and TEC, or, uh, TEC, the Episcopal Church, T-E-C, TEC, they're caught, up, they're caught up in this liberal, conservative, binary culture war. Like, um, it's, it's, and it's limiting the way that both sides are addressing issues surrounding human sexuality. So I was like, why did that in like five minutes? Uh, any questions about that? Like that's that's the state of the that's kind of the state of the union. Is it too late to become a Buddhist? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually no. that's the end of the thirteen weeks. Okay, all right. <laughs> we have, we have <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't make a lot of this. I have to just breathe. I know, man. I know. I know. Can I, can I comment? Yeah, dude. Yeah. So, I just, like, I think Methodist, like, I've been in the Anglican Church for, by Anglican I mean, like, the Church of England, probably for 10 years now? 10 years now? So, not that long. But, like, I think Matt did a really good job of sort of explaining some of the dynamics. I've been in another Anglican Church and an Episcopal Church in that time period. And there's a lot of, I just want to say that there's a lot of diversity in both. Like, and, like, there are Episcopals that I feel, like, personally, like, a lot, like, more comfortable with, like, their, you know, views on things are a lot closer to than I feel like a lot of Anglicans, and the same goes for Anglicans with a lot of Episcopals. Um, but for me, there, and there's a lot of, like, distrust and suspicion between the two sides, yep. Episcopals and Anglicans in North America. Yep. And for me, this is, like, a very difficult issue because, like, you kind of like you you I feel like you have to sort of like subsist in one. But what what I mean by that is like like by going to this church, like some people would say, oh, you've like chosen sides, yeah, right. And the same thing by going to the school church, oh, like you've chosen sides, yeah. And it's like way more difficult than that for me. It is. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but just like I just want to say, like it's complicated. <laughs> it's like extremely complicated, and like. The future of the Anglican Church itself, I think a lot of people would say, or as we know it, like is sort of hanging in the balance. Um, mm-hmm. Like a lot of people thought that the last global Anglican um, summits and uh, whatever it was, where they officially like gave a censure to the Episcopal Church, a lot of people thought that like a third of the Anglican Communion would, was going to like split, um, like the Episcopals. Yeah. And specifically that like, and it's really tough because like, I mean honestly, like I think a lot of the global South bishops like, believe things that, to our American sensibilities, just like, even if you're conservative, are, like, scary as heck. Yep. Right? Like, um, and, but at the same time, like, they're part of the communion, and it's really confusing because, like, like, uh, you know, as Westerners, maybe some of us are, you know, aware of our colonial backgrounds, it's hard not to be like, oh, well, let, let us Westerners tell you how your values should be on this. Yeah. Um, which is really easy to do. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it's also scary because, like, 
Yeah, you, you've not got like a lot of cultural elements mixed, in, like African cultural elements mixed with Western cultural elements, but yep. all the sign the same church. So uh, I'm just saying, like, I don't have the answers for this, but it's like confusing, and like, I just want to like say thanks, Matt, for like, yeah, saying that. Um, but it's not like, it's, it's really hard not to be caught in the minor. Yes. I, um, I actually moved a woman, um, a senior in Indianapolis, who was the first woman to be ordained in the Episcopal Church, and she had to wear a bulletproof vest for years. Yeah. So you're talking about people who, you know, saints, you know, called to ministry and wearing in the pulpit in Indianapolis. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so, yeah, so it probably needs to be said that we have, we meaning the table, we have no desire to try to win this binary culture war. So part of, part of the reason why we do our discipleship the way we do, and part of the reason why we're working through using the compass rose to sort of picture this non-dual way of thinking, is that we're convinced that the, f- the current frames and ideology that frames conversations around human sexuality is bankrupt. There's not enough, there's not enough Jesus in it, and it's not redemptive or restorative or liberating or leading to reconciliation and new creation. So there's... So uh, that being said, so anyway, that's like our cards. So we chose our diocese not to pick sides on this culture war. We chose our province, our diocese, because our, our bishop, our bishop is committed to figuring out this in a, in a via media way. Uh, but as a church, as a church, uh, we... We're completely off the map here. Let me say that. Like all of the language and the constructs and the frames and the, and, the, and the language that I'm familiar with can do some work for us in the human sexuality conversation. But, but I, the reason why I had us write these questions down is that some of these questions get talked about like in the current sort of ideology, but many don't. Like many, many don't. And so I think it far transcends these questions. Like it goes way beyond the questions we wrote down. But we have to do a better job of, I think, of, of taking Jesus as our center and navigating the complexities of human sexuality. And there is, at least as far as I know, there's no playbook for that. Like if we wanted to become an open and affirming church, right? Um, you guys all know what I mean by that? There's a playbook for that. There's language for that. We can copy somebody's website for that. If we wanted to uh, do things like sign a Nashville statement and sort of talk about how we're closed and non I don't know, whatever the opposite of open and affirming is, like there's a playbook for that. We can like, but there isn't a playbook for what we're trying to do. In fact, I would say this even. Um, there is an orientation, there's a center and an orientation for what we want to do as a church. But, there, but we don't even, I don't even think we know what to do until we start walking and discerning it together. Yes, 
which is the how we do it creates the what we do. So, yeah. Is that helpful for you guys to hear? Yeah. I was just thinking, I mean, some of this is just repeating what you just said differently, but I was thinking as you were talking, like, I think this approach, like saying that you think of the frame for this conversation as bankrupt is uh, a lot of fun because it really upsets people on both sides of the binary. Uh, however, like, we were basically saying, like, Let's, let's have a conversation. Let's be together. Let's have a relationship. And it's messy and it's hard. Um, but, like, to me, this may just be a personality thing, but to me that's encouraging. Because the fact that it's hard and it doesn't just initially check a box for one side or the other, it does turn people off sometimes in conversation. But, like, like to me it kind of seems like, duh. Like, obviously you have to have a relationship with somebody and you have to walk together to be able to discern what God is doing, you're not just going to be able to pick side A or side B. Um, like, it seems kind of obvious at this point, but it is really hard. It is hard. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, on those issues, obviously the complexity of it all, it really comes down, can you fight well? Uh, will you be able to, will you be able to argue and play nice in the sandbox with one another? I mean, I, I don't know too many churches that are doing that, that are sitting here on any one of these subjects and really just letting it go. Yeah. And then talking about how do we love one another and honor one another. Um, I don't see that. I don't know any place that does that. Um, that allows, and then in that, having a, a forum or a place for people to speak, to let people to be heard, and then to be able to have places of disagreement, um, process emotion, um, and then come back the next week, um, and then do it again. Um, but I don't know that apart, like you were saying, um, apart from relationship, because if you're not in a relationship, you'll just pretty much bail out. People don't stay, unless yeah. it's this. Yeah. That I'm committed to you, or I'm committed to working this out as a church. Um, because even for me, um, this creates huge amounts of sadness. Yeah. I mean, even when you were speaking, it just was, I just felt this Heaviness. enormous sadness. Yeah. When you have all these people dying out there around us. In men who are fighting over power, yeah. Yeah. it's just like there has to be another way. Yes. Yes, Sean. Yes. You know, they're just. You know, I've worked with dying AIDS patients, and the care people don't give a fuck about what a guy thinks in Africa about that situation when they're sitting there dying. And the church is not even there present. Yes. Not even there present to hold hands. And so I that reframing that in a way in which you think about it a whole lot differently when you're able to like hold the hand of another human being who's going through that than sitting there, you know, being the you know, the power broker from on high. Um, but yet at the same time. I think we're going to wrestle with those issues of power and what the Bible says about it. We have to do it. 
Yeah. Um, there's no other way around it. Yeah. But then how do you do that in a nice way? How do you do that committed to a group of people? So, mm -hmm. so how do you fight well? It's a little scary because if you feel like your safety is threatened, if I feel like I have to come and wear a bulletproof vest to be a part of the conversation, <laughs> right. Right. they're not going to come to be a part of the conversation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I assume in this room there are people who are drastically opposed in their opinions on this. And there are people who hold those opinions with incredible like conviction or uh, like real real sort of um, like tendentious, like just uh, maybe. Right? So we're all over the place in terms of conviction and opinion. Um, and I, want, I always want to be a church like that. So for, like always, like that's what it means to be hospitable. That's what it means to have like, you know, a zealot and a tax collector in your 12. Right? We've got to be a place where there's hospitality. Um, you bring up an important, I, th I think, one of the most important parts of this conversation that we don't have time to get into today, but I want to name it. When you talk about power and how we have to, like, men fighting and all this, like, I think, uh, I'm, na I'm naming this as patriarchy, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with that word or what it means. It just essentially means, like, uh, that heterosexual men uh, hold the power and women and other gender identities I think you, don't. I think you do add Except, except Africa. <laughs> like, except the global south. Like, in our context, yes. But speaking globally, no. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in our context, it's heterosexual white men. Usually. Uh, and, um, like, reckoning with... So, so, just backing up, there are Christians... So, the, the Bible was written in a society that was living in patriarchy. And there are Christians who read the Bible and see patriarchy as God's ordained ordering of society. These are the people that have a problem with like women being ordained, right? Um, we, we obviously aren't there. Becky Dunn is gonna be preaching today. We're excited about that. Um, our bishop isn't there. Our bishop ordains women to the priesthood, right? So we, we, we've, we've sort of like navigated that sort of at the table in a way. Uh, but that's, that's such a small part of how patriarchy impacts. I mean, not to take away from how it's impacting women or nation. That's a huge thing. But it's a small part overall in how patriarchy impacts our culture. How patriarchy impacts... I think we have... A, there's um, White heterosexual men, of which I am one, have, haven't even begun to wrestle with what patriarchy has done to them. The destructive, damaging, awful, soul-crushing, dehumanizing work that patriarchy has done to the people on the top. I, I'm not, in saying that, I'm speaking for like my demographic. In saying that, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's done even worse things to people on the bottom. Right? Um, and that would be anybody who's not white. 
in Western world male heterosexual. Um, but there's some people who just read scripture and say, well, uh, God ordained patriarchy. Here it is. Right? He's, you know. <clears throat> so there's complex questions of hermeneutics. Like, how do we read scripture? What is God doing in scripture? Does God ever accommodate to a culture that he's, that he's revealing himself to? And, and, and not have his idealized reality enacted. Right? Well, yeah, of course he does. That's why Israel had kings. That's why there was polygamy. That's why there was slavery. That's why there was divorce. That's why we eat meat. <laughs> it's why the uh, promised land was taken by violence. Like, all of these things in Scripture, Jesus explicitly says, God accommodated divorce for you because your hardness of heart. So God's always at work accommodating. And I think our perspective is that patriarchy is one of the things God worked in rather than God ordained. So, so part of the work we have to do, and the, this is a popular word, is to deconstruct patriarchy and wrestle personally with all the ways, you know, all the ways that it's impacted us. So one of the thoughts I had a couple years ago as I began to just sort of wrestle with this is um, I use this word heterosexual to describe myself. But I don't even know what that means. Like, what does that even mean? <clears throat> I mean, I grew up listening to, um, you guys, some of you guys will know this, uh, like what was called gangster rap. Like, too short. <laughs> Two Live Crew, Easy E, NWA. And this is what I grew up listening to. I had these little mixtapes that I would listen to on my Walkman as South I. Southside? Right, Southside, man. <laughs> <laughs> Represent me. And, uh, and, and so, uh, sort of, it's sort of like the. I mean, a lot of the lyrics are just sort of the, um, the ca- characterization of like masculinity sort of unleashed and run rampant. Um, and I'm 42, and I'm. I'm still reckoning with the way that the way that our culture scripts masculinity has impacted me and heterosexual masculinity. But, and I, I'm, I'm convinced that I can't discern human sexuality apart from my own. So I, um, this is another kind of conviction. Like, this isn't an issue that we have a position on. No. This is a reality. These are people that we discern the kingdom of God. And it starts with me. Like it starts with like my, my gender dysphoria. Like, so one of the convictions I've had is like, until I have gender dysphoria, I can't even begin to engage this conversation. Until I deconstruct the way this has impacted me and the scripts that I have around masculinity, heterosexuality, women, power, Privilege, I can't even begin to discern this. So that's like you mentioned patriarchy. And I just want to mention like some of the thoughts I've had about, about that. I think the thing that you talked about the hermeneutic, I mean to be able to have to be able to call yourself an evangelical and to say I have a different hermeneutic. And what does that mean in regards to looking at the Bible, dealing with the issue of patriarchy, and seeing that it has propped the whole thing up. Yeah. 
and yet love the scriptures and see them holy. I mean, I don't see anyone wrestling with that. Um, because you can't, you, to be able even to challenge that is sacrilege. And so that in itself, because the reality is, without a different hermeneutic, you can't wrestle with these things. There's just no way of wrestling it. Because we love the Bible. I love the Bible. It's one of the reasons why I stick around with evangelical. Yeah. And yet, at the same time, believing that there could be a wrestling with how do we interpret what, what is God saying to us today. Yep. And yet, and that is so hard. Because, you know, that's the big fight all yeah. around. Well, people, like you were saying, like people people interpret it as like, oh, that's a code word. Yes. Like, I see what you're doing. <laughs> you know, they, they, they have trouble taking taking the face values. And I really, you know, it really is a different way of, yeah. of reading. It's really hard to break out of that, that binary that us versus them, the teams, they're fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just say one last thing? Yeah. I, think that, I think that the only... I would have left the whole evangelical thing. Left it. Um, because of these issues. I mean, I was in that camp. And a lot of it, I'm not in that camp. Yeah. But I believe that the only hope that there is for evangelicalism is to be able to stay in it and, and find another way of being able to do it differently. And I don't know um, how that how to do that. I just don't know how to do it. Um, I'm glad you know. <laughs> I, do, I don't. Yeah, like I don't. Um, well, but, you're doing it. Yeah, I mean, this, this is, is part of it, right? This so is, this is this is it. This is part of it. Yeah. Uh, and it's one thing to do it like in a room full of uh, cisgendered people who have nothing to lose. Sister means you, you identify with the gender that you were born with and that you're, you're heteronormative. Right? I'm, just, I'm just presuming that for the sake of conversation. I'm, if that's not you, I apologize. It's one thing to do that. It's another thing when somebody comes to your church and says, hey, uh, my partner and I want to get married. Will you marry us? Like, what do you do? Um... Yeah, other thoughts about this. What is this stirring for you? I, I mean, I got, I have tons of thoughts, and I could just keep rambling, but I don't know if that would be so helpful. The, the thing that's running through my head is like, it's hard. Like, I think first of all, it's hard for me to think in these terms because I'm so used to thinking like, what's my side? Um, but like, for example, like on women's ordination, is it fair to say that? Take them aside. Uh, and if so, like, what's the difference between that and like other issues? Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. Um, like, is it fair to say we take aside anything? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have. I almost wore. I get this. <laughs> yeah, I did major flaws. <laughs> I. I would say it like this. Um, I, have a, I have a difficult... I mean, Ben, I don't know if you have a different way to respond to that. I have a difficult time framing my relationship 
to an idea or an issue or a person with like being on a side. Because I think if initially, like the language game that you're using, the way you're, the frame you're using, that's what the frame is, like a, like a conceptual world you're using, automatically assumes an antagonism. Automatically assumes, like it locks it down. Right? So, um, let's imagine, if, let's say I come, I hope this doesn't do bad work, but I'm going to try it. Um, let's say I come and I, I announce to the church next week that I want to get a divorce from Sharon. And, I'm, and I ask, are you on my side? Like, I've, I've, what I've done is I've said, this is how you prove you're on my side to me. You align yourself with what I desire. Right? It feels like a little trap, right? In some ways. Because... You'd have lots of questions. Probably, if you're if the people I know you to be, you'd have lots of questions, for me. right? Yeah, sure. But I, but I, but I won't let you ask me questions. There is a litmus test for whether or not you're on my side or not. Will you support my divorce? Now that that's something that has happened to me. <laughs> like somebody else has done that to me. But that feels like a trap, right? A little bit of a trap. And I, I so all that to say. I think there's been some discerning work in the capital C church about women's ordination. That, uh, that I'm operating in. I, ha- I personally haven't done the work with this uh, because I haven't found a group of people who will uh, reject the ideology and the, the limiting binary frames that we find in the Western world today. Like, every time I enter in a conversation with somebody about it, it, like, it collapses into that trap kind of question. Like, it, it's like a trap, and I'm like, well, yeah, I'm on your side. But you seem to know what that side is, and I don't. <laughs> you seem to have figured that out without me. <laughs> like, uh, you know? <coughs> Yeah, Abena, how would you answer that question? No, that's, that's good. I think, I think that, that's really helpful. I mean, you have to, uh, so part you of have the, to make decisions at some point. Right? Yeah, so like, part of this is, like, as evangelicals, we want to go to, like, what does the Bible say? Well, then you have questions of hermeneutics. How do we interpret the Bible? Hermeneutic just means, interpret. how do you interpret the Bible, right? But when you go to the Bible, you see people having huge paradigm shifts, not by going to Scripture, Like the book of Acts is at least two huge paradigm shifts where you've got a guy killing Christians and he doesn't go do an inductive Bible study on Habakkuk and stop. (laughs) He gets knocked off his horse and has a vision from the Lord. And the Lord says, you're persecuting me. And he goes and he's blind for three days and he receives hospitality from Christians and his scales fall from his eyes and he can see that he was wrong. Which makes evangelicals really uneasy. Charismatics are like, yep, I'm there. (laughs) <laughs> right? Then you've got Peter, who spent his whole life being kosher, and, and he, he's, he's praying, or if you will, meditating on his roof at lunch, and he sees a picture of a sheet coming down with, you know, birds and, um, you know, animals. And, and, the, and the voice says, eat. 
This is a voice going against, like, literal interpretation of Old Testament scripture. Don't eat it. Right? He doesn't have the gospel. He doesn't have the gospel where we see Jesus making all things clean yet. He's going by, he's a faithful Jew. Right? Then he goes to a Gentile's house after the vision. First time he'd ever been in a Gentile's house, he says. This wasn't done when he, he didn't go back and read Leviticus again and get on his concordance and do word studies. He had a vision. Right? So I think, so for me, there's no way to discern human sexuality if we want to be biblical about it. Right? It means the Bible can't be, can't solve every question for us about it. We have to get in relationship with people. We have to go in Cornelius' house. We have to be open to visions. Open to the Lord knocking us off our horse. That's what it means to be biblical evangelicals. Right? Yes. So, and there's a trap door. Well, that was just for sort of, that was for the apostles and that was the, that was an inspired writing, but like, this is not how we read scripture. Like, we perform the same faith that the apostles do. We're in the same era the apostles are. Yeah. Right? And the only reason we have that as the scripture is because the early church said, this comports with our experience of the Lord. Right. So, I, so, so to answer your question another way, Isaiah, that was a preamble. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just been around a lot of women who have... Um, and again, patriarchy wants to describe authority in a certain way. Right? So women shouldn't have authority over men. Well, that's an understanding in a patriarchal way. Ben and I, as, as much as possible, are trying to deconstruct what authority is embodied in the community. So that it's not authority uh, over against, like a dominant kind of hierarchical authority. But it's a, it's a power for and with. It's a, it's a power under, not an overpower. Right? And so, if that's the case... Like, I've, I've been under, I've benefited from the authority of many women. And listen to women preach. Like, I've, I've experienced the beauty of a woman being ordained and operating in her giftedness by the Spirit. And so I, I can't, like, be in Cornelius' house and leave and be like, nah. Right? And I just haven't been in Cornelius' house here. I don't know what that looks like. But I know it does. There, like We have to interface with Cornelius's and with, um, is it Aeneas? The guy who, Ananias? Yeah, we have to interface with these people. The people we're killing. The people we won't go into their houses. We have to connect with them. That's how God works. The hardest thing on that coming from the evangelical church, you know, for that group of people, which which we don't have to deal with today, because this thing is, that's not, what I'm about to say is, not, we're not dealing with it today, but we will have to deal with it if we want to have be in their house. Yeah. Ultimately, is we invite people in and include them, will they have the same pathways Will they have the same pathways? That's where the rub is because yeah. I've seen pastoring it. I've seen ultimately, secretively, you'll never be in leadership. You you are excluded because you're living with your girlfriend. 
Yeah. Um, you, I mean, these are the things we, we don't have to deal with it today. I yeah. don't want so we don't have to be afraid. How will we? But the reality is, this is the majority of what's happening out there. And if we want to be with Cornelius, ultimately those. So I don't want the anxiety comes. Is how will we deal with it? But we don't. We don't we're not, we don't need to, today, today, this is what God is doing today yeah. um, in it. But that is, for me, the hardest, been the hardest thing as I have had many Corneliuses and then found institution, the institution butting up, people banging their heads against something. And that's been hard. So I think that this is, a, today is beautiful. This is beautiful. This is really, really good. Yeah. Um, this is in. This is movement. And yet, I've seen that's when you talk about that thing. I know that has been a hard thing for me. Yeah. And sometimes we do want it. Well, give me the answer now. How you are going to respond to that? Um, I understand why people want that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yet, if we're committed to working that out as a as a church, you know, I think that that's. I think we're making inroads. I think that that's hope. It's a good word, Sean. Yeah. Um, I guess in, in closing, I wish we could have. I wish we had more time. I wish we had more time, and it was five degrees cooler in here. Um, in closing, I'll just say this: one of the reasons why we lead our DNA groups the way we do like noticing our Kairos moments there's no way to have this conversation unless we're tending to our own Kairos moments and hearing the Lord like in in what God's doing in us right so like and having a group of people who rather than like can like rather than a group of people who just like devolve into arguing and shouting and fighting can can you know like I say something that's wrong. And Josie, rather than saying, you're an idiot, says, you know, when you said that, like, I had this reaction, like, I'm really scared, or I'm really, I got really angry when you said that. Like, that's, there aren't many communities that function like that. Right? So all of our training and discipleship is to make us become the kind of people who can discern this together. And that takes, that may take Two, three, four years, friends. Like, there's no shortcut to that. It, it, it takes as long as it takes. And actually, we become those kinds of people as we do it. So it's not like we get to this place and we're like, all right, now let's, here we go. Right? The rest of our uh, Table 101 class, we're going to talk about our practices and our vision and values. They all feed into being a community that can bear the kinds of things you're talking about. Right? That we can actually do the work of the church, love people, right, and and transcend the antagonistic wars, the culture wars <coughs> that are so easily entangled in its snares. Right. All right. There's so much more to be said. I'll put some notes up on our website. Uh, there's some additional things I didn't say in here um, in the notes. But can I, can I pray for us? And then um, we can escape the uh, sonnet. All right. Lord, the, these are uh, things too great and too wonderful for us. 
and so we calm and quiet ourselves. Like a child at her mother's breast, we calm ourselves now. We trust in your provision. We trust in uh, your nourishment. We trust in your nurturing, your, uh, your care of us, your maternal care of us even. We trust in that. God. And we, uh, we long for righteousness and justice in, the, in this area, in, in our areas of human sexuality. So be at work. Even in our kids. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.